Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast with a twist. This is episode four. It is Dark of the Moon, uh, a movie that made $1.1 billion somehow, and we're going to talk about it right now. I am joined by Benjamin Phillips. Ben, uh, did you contribute to the $1.1 billion in ticket revenue? I did. I did not. I had tapped out of this franchise after Revenge of the Fallen. I was also a poor university student mm. who, I mean, and also, like 2011 was kind of like, it's it's funny to think of 2011 because 2011 is still, we're still peaking in terms of like how often a billion dollars come. This is like when you start getting like one or two a year. Mm. And I feel like 2011 is like a big surprising year because it's the year of like the, the two that do it. And I might be wrong because I think Pirates 4 might also be this year and might also do a billion. But the two that definitely do it are Harry Potter A and this movie. Does Fast Five not do a bill? No, Fast no. Five doesn't do a bill. But, but the does, first one to does... do a bill is Furious Seven. Oh, okay. But you know, Fast Five kicks that train off, and both have Tyrese Gibson in a huge starring role. So there you go. Um, this movie, I feel, is one of the poster children for the you know 3D had become a thing since. Uh, I get was 3D a thing for Revenge of the Fallen, but like it was too early days for them Ava- to commit a- to Avatar it. Avatar is 2009, which is when you oh, start okay. getting like sea change. So you start getting like Avatar comes out and absolutely smashes box offices. Coraline is obviously another one at the forefront where like I think those two are like mm. the one-two punch of like this is what 3D can do, and mm. then everyone starts post-converting, and you end up in 2010 where Alice yeah. in Wonderland and Toy Story 3 get that like 3D bump. Yeah. Toy Story, animation always looks really good in 3D because there's like there's more assets that you can actually do the the 3D effect with because it's just yeah duplicating the image. Whereas like when you do it with a, a converted camera, like you're it's better if you filmed it in 3D essentially. Yeah, and um, Michael Bay was sort of like anti post conversion, but for his style of filmmaking, he likes to get really up in there with his his, his moving cameras. Um, 3D was considered, you know, 3D cameras were too big, so they like created a more portable 3D camera rig, and uh, in they got. I did not see it in 3D. I never enjoyed 3D as a thing. Uh, saw a handful of things, never really thought it enhanced the experience for me. I think it washes out the colours. And like the moments where 3D things aren't happening, I'd always just lift my glasses and like put them back down when 3D things are happening. I I have heard someone say that like they think that Dark of the Moon, because of the way it has to be filmed, because it has to be filming two images at the same time, mm. and and Michael Bay not wanting to do the post conversion, kind of actually clears up some of his compositions in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't say I disagree. <laughs> like, it, well, the, this is the big awkward thing here. I think we might be coming down on the side that this is the best Michael Bay helmed one of these. Um, I think the fandom like, is... think it's one. I think this is definitely up there for them. Like, I think they know that like two, four, and five are are kind of bad, but they like you know they have a soft spot for them. But I think they think one and three are like actually really good, and like I think this one, certainly the first half of it, maybe just like the first hour, I'm like, is this like actually a good movie? And then the, I think it hits about that one hour mark and it's like he's been holding in 
all his worst habits, and he just lets them all out at, at the end, and it's like, alright, never mind. But by this extreme sliding scale that is the quality of live-action Transformers movies, it's alright. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like, I came down like, I'm, I don't want to say it's it's good, but like, I didn't have the same thing that happens with two, and even happens in one where like my eyes just like slide off the screen, and I'm not actually taking in yeah. the things that are happening in it. And and I think yeah. that is like the benefit to this movie. And I don't know what it is. I I have to assume part of it is like it feels recognizably like a movie. Well, yeah, where, I mean, like coming off one that is like hastily written ahead of our writer's strike and like isn't a complete movie and all that like by comparison it it does feel like a real movie but yeah there is certainly more like script coherence they claimed that the goofy comedy was gone for this one i malkovich jiong and the tiny robots would all disagree but it it is toned down slightly it's not gone but and and i have to say they've probably got better qualified and less racially charged actors mm-hmm. to do the comedy in this one where like it there's still gay panic like uh-huh. i was still rolling my eyes during the like ken jong and and shire and like in the bath in the bath stall yeah like, mounting him in the bathroom and and yeah and then coming out of malkovich I mean, malkovich's character arc in this movie is bizarre where like what he he like disappears at one point and then all of a sudden there's like being the errand boy and just being obsessed <laughs> with the Transformers. Like... It just kind of feels like they set him up and I'm like, there might be something here. And then he's just, whatever. We need somebody to he bring won't... them a dossier. So here he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, but I think that is the whole thing that everyone's kind of shot by is that this is the start of, not that John Turturro isn't like a huge, like awards name. Like, yeah, like, oh, Tom, John Turturro, like a, a frequent favorite of the Coen brothers and Spike Lee, but it's also got that like, dumb comedy streak because he'll do Sandler movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Isn't a huge surprise that he would do this. But then this movie turns up and it's just like, yeah, our wins and ands for this movie are John Malkovich and Francis McDormand. Yeah, pretty wild. And Francis and... McDormand is like, this is the only movie that's paid me my quoted salary, which is <laughs> fucking insane to hear. And like, I think all these people don't have bad words to say about making these things because they show up for like a couple of days and they just kind of have a bit of fun and it's it's low stress and they probably get paid decently and off I they think go. It's the same as like, I think it's the same as the MCU where I think the only thing now that's kind of turning on the MCU is like everyone's kind of going like, I wish I hadn't signed this six movie contract. Well, sure. like But like but- I, Anthony Hopkins has basically spent a long time saying, oh yeah, I didn't need to do any acting in Thor. And he notably has not said that about his stint on Transformers, which we'll be getting to in a few weeks. And it's like, is it just like that one was so fucking silly that it's enjoyable for him? Whereas Marvel is like, it's not a real stress, but it's also not like so silly that I'm having fun kind of thing. <laughs> like, yeah, potentially. Like, that's like work, <laughs> but like it's not very enjoyable obvious. work. It's very obvious that people like working with Michael Bay because yeah. well, people some of them I mean, some of them do. Yes, I mean obviously the the big spectre over this movie is the fact that Megan Fox was essentially bullied off the set of of the second movie and all the rest of it. Um, and Shire does not come back after this one either. And, no, um, but Shire is on the brink of his massive massive plummet from fame yes absolutely but like i i feel megan fox was like trying to speak on his behalf a little bit and be like yeah we were not having a good time making these films yeah but i have i have to imagine for those two in particular it must be the most stressful thing in the world where Mm. like especially to be 
the age that Shia was. And obviously this yeah. isn't say yeah. that like Shia Shia is a good person because obviously he's done a lot that. of heinous stuff yeah. in, in yeah. the in the wakes of these movies. But it's very obvious he also had a very troubled childhood and like his his relationship to fame in this industry is interesting and it's kind of a like a textbook case of how this industry kind of like distorts Yeah, like is uh, there a child star that turned out okay or or not yeah. like heavily trauma like even you see that quote the other day, like one of the fannings was told at sixteen she wasn't fuckable enough for a part, and it's like, what the shit does that do to your brain when you're sixteen? <laughs> like, yep. horrible yep. shit. But yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I I do think people generally like working with Michael Bay. He's not someone who works with actors like multiple times. I feel no. like like because what he's done a couple with Ben Affleck, he's done a couple with like Will Smith, but like it's it's not like he is a director who has a consistent stable of actors who he is pulling from yeah but but people are still willing to sign up and do a michael bay movie like obviously i, I, I guess dyer and, and gyllenhaal and all the rest of it i guess where it feels like the distinction is the leads who have to be on set every day of production and do like every scene are probably sort of work to the bone whereas these sort of slightly sexier names who are coming in and doing a handful of scenes they seem to be treated much better and like have a more pleasant time, whereas, you know, Shire and Megan and whoever are like in the dirt having to do take after take and everything and yeah. But I mean, I yeah, guess you're that's, gonna, you're I guess that's movies, what, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to be here. We're going to set off seventeen tons of explosions about twenty feet away from you. <laughs> you can't have ear earbuds on or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Megan Fox allegedly fired at the behest of Steven Spielberg for likening Michael Bay to Hitler. Um, Steven Spielberg, a Jewish man, and uh, did not enjoy that comment, so she was fired. And Blake Lively turned down the replacement role, and every hot young actress in the game was rumoured um, for the replacement role, and instead they got Jason Statham's hot wife, um, because she was in some lingerie like commercials that Michael Bay directed. And he's like, you've got charisma. Um, she's fucking terrible. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what she's good in? Don't do it. The only other movie she's ever starred in. Yeah, don't do it. Mad Max Fury Road. Uh huh. She's the pregnant one, right? She's the pregnant one who gets killed halfway through. But uh -huh. it's good. Terrible fucking movie. All the girls in that movie. Much worse than all the Transformers <laughs> movies. Um, I might actually believe that. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, speaking of take was going to get our podcast cancelled is I that know, one I know speaking of Steven Spielberg one thing I took note of was no DreamWorks logo here about two weeks after I lost my mind being like wait has there always been a DreamWorks logo on Transformers and you told I me think, yes I think DreamWorks is no longer a producing partner on this I don't right. know if it's like where where DreamWorks stands at this point in its in its history I think mm. what is happening is that, like, at this point, they've signed a deal with Disney, right. I think. The Paramount and so Disney, then, like, the, yeah. So I think Dream, <laughs> yeah, so I think DreamWorks is now have a distribution deal with Disney. So Paramount owns the rights to the Transformers franchise, and they were co-producing it with, with DreamWorks. But DreamWorks is no longer involved because they've got a distribution deal with Disney, but the people at DreamWorks who are working on it are still, like, sort of... In the background, I guess, and then obviously DreamWorks gets swallowed up entirely by NBC Universal. Yeah, uh, in 2016. Yeah. So the movie opens. Uh, you know, we get our, our our typical Optimus opening narration. 
it's probably the best one of these so far. Still not great, but, it, but it's the closest thing great. to coherent. <laughs> like, I mean, it also helps it like actually like sets up what's happening because it's got yeah. flashbacks to Cybertron. It's not just Earth or like because I think all the others are like they start on Earth and they like are doing like nonsense law, whereas this one opens on Cybertron and shows yeah. you the thing that Optimus is talking about. Yeah, I guess and, like, his words match also... the pictures helps quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, because he was there as well as the other benefit, yeah. because number one, the first movie is, like, vague bullshit. The second movie is him talking about stuff that he probably shouldn't know anything about, I feel. Because mm-hmm. it's like, here's the past of the Earth and the primes that came down and influenced humanity or whatever way back in the ancient past. Yeah, which Optimus definitely wasn't online for, but hey-ho. <laughs> um, but, you know, so his narration is about, at the at the height of the war... The Ark went missing. It was carrying something, a, a, a vague final hope. Like they, I feel there are about 12 final hopes in this franchise that would have turned the tide of the war because in the Bayverse, the Decepticons win the war um, and, and, and gain control of Cybertron and the Autobots peace out. But yeah, th- this, this ship landed on the moon um, in 1961. And then an element that like I kind of didn't coherently keep track of or, or consciously keep track of they're really into alternate history and inserting Transformers into it because like the stuff with the Seekers in the previous one who are like living among the humans and then we'll have the dinosaur stuff coming up we'll have King Arthur shit there's something in the first one I can't remember what it was but yeah we've got a fake JFK the deep fake on him is awful. <laughs> it, it really is. Like, yeah. I was just like, get this JFK away from me. Yeah. I'm glad. Just keep it to like a space. Yeah, just just keep it to like a, a verbal impression and just show footage of him. But like, yeah. So like the entire space race of the '60s was to race to recover this what landed on the moon first. You know, so we get all of the stuff with with the historical footage and the real audio and landing on the moon, and then. Is this a real thing? There were 21 minutes of where we lost contact with Neil Armstrong. And I, I was going to look it up, and I was like... I was too, possibly... and I just didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it's potential that it was, but I've never actually watched the full the full yeah. moonwalk footage, so I but don't it's, know. But it's a, it's a, I think it's actually quite affecting to see... It, it goes on too long, like a smidge too long, but like... And it becomes a bit of a like wanking over America kind of thing, <laughs> as Michael Bay has wanted Mike, to do. What Michael Bay wank over America? I know, I know. At first, it's like, hey, you know what? This is like, I'm, I'm in the moment. I'm in the time. I know what you're going for, and like, the prospect of like, oh, there were 21 minutes where we lost track of the moon. Like, that's like, that's actually like engaging, and like, they like deliberately jammed the signal so that he could go investigate the ark. And they bring something back, but yeah, we basically the American government have known about Transformers since the sixties, and like even though they've known about the Transformers since before that because of Sam's grandfather, they have, and like the Hoover Dam was built around Megatron, and <laughs> I think that's what that's what's kind of like. It's very obvious that none of these three movies were made to make a <laughs> continuous narrative because none of them make sense no. when played next to each other. Because no. like you have Simmons in this movie who does get a little bit mad that like. NASA were doing their own shit with mm-hmm. the Transformers is what the read on this in this, but it's like sure just the started... feds though not sharing information with each other. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but then like not the whatever what the Transformers or like what the Decepticons are trying to do in Number Two makes no sense when mm. 
they've got this plan presumably going in the background during this movie as well. Yeah. Um, like, why is this not plan A? Why is the plot yeah. from movie two, which I can't even remember what it fucking was at this point, like plan A? I, I don't know, but... <laughs> So we, we transition from, you know, there's robots on the moon to just fucking classic movies, baby. Opening title, close up on an ass, soft rock playing, welcome to America. <laughs> like, and surely this is Megan Fox. Oh, no, no, it is. Rosie yes. Huntington Whiteley, yes. Yes, she can't act for shit. There is a weird cacophony of things going on where, one, she's not an actor, two... Brits trying to do American dialogue, like dialogue that has been written in an American voice, and then just they've slapped a Brit on it. It always sounds bad. It just it it all sort of convolutes into like she sounds like Australian at times, and just she never sounds natural at like any you point also, in this thing. Just that inherent weakness as well of like when you've got a movie with one British person in it, it sounds <laughs> fake. And I <laughs> yeah, don't true. I don't know what it is, but like it always happens where like. Whenever a single British person shows up in something with exclusively American accents, it's like this is someone doing an accent. This yeah, does yeah. not like like they're like this is someone doing it up, and it's like and then they, you watch them in another show with other British people, and you're like, oh no, that, that is your I authentic think, voice. Yeah, I think you just need something to bounce off, so you're like sure that they're not doing a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like she's this is Carly um, named for. Spike Whitwicky's um, girlfriend and eventual wife in the old cartoons. Um, Sam basically is Spike, but in all but name. Should no, be... Spike's in this movie in another role. Well, okay, okay, but um, no, it's Spike's in the next movie in another yes, role. Yes, yes. Uh, should be noted that Aaron Kruger, who co-wrote the previous Dumpster Fire with Orsian Kurtzman, uh, he's now solo writer. I think he actually is a bit of a Transformers nerd, so he is trying to slip in some stuff like space bridges and, and sentinel prime and things like that um it's not like the issue the, the issue is is like i can't say this is the guy who's kind of come in and kind of like adding a little bit of juice to this mm. like he tried to get juice into the last one he gets a solo right this one he gets a little bit of juice in there and then the next movie is like also terrible, and he also solo writes that one, so it's like yeah, exactly. And like you, you hear things like they were gonna go with Ultra Magnus instead of Sentinel, and and just all kind. Of, but I mean, I feel there are more like name drops and subtle nods at things than there are in any of the other ones. Um, I mean, that's that's the kind of a thing. And like, obviously, part of this podcast is supposed to be like comparing and contrasting the comic book. Sure, and and like. This is the first time we're going to actually get to do that because characters we've talked about are going to have things to do in this movie, yeah. which is like a huge benefit. But I do think there is, again, from people who I know who love the Bay movies, there is a thing where they're, they're sat there and they're going like, Bumblebee is my least favorite because it hates the other Transformers movies, and I like those. Mm -hmm. And what Bumblebee does is acknowledge the lore of the TV shows, and I think some of the Bay fans are just like, no, no get this stupid bullshit yeah. out of here. I don't care about this stuff. We've been Whereas... talking about this, that, like, I, I had the realisation, I understand how people like these movies from a pomp and spectacle sort of standpoint of, yeah, he does big fucking explosions and expensive-looking shit um, in real cities and, and whatever... What I've never understood is the people that love these movies and also claim to be, like, hardcore, lifelong Transformer fans because they are just so at odds with each other. And I just sort of realised... I, I I feel like the, like, 
the key position, if you like these things, is Optimus and Bumblebee are cool. Why would you care about any of the other Transformers? That's dumb. And it's like, if that is your stance, I get it, because that is definitely what the movie is going with. Well, it's where... definitely what like, everyone seems to think is the opinion, because Optimus and Bumblebee and Megatron are like the three heads of the franchise. It's like, I yeah. don't think you can make a Transformers anything without those three having significant roles in them sure. in this day and age. It's funny that we're discussing like the one project of the last 15 years where those three, at first at least, are not the main focus yeah. of, of the comic books. Yeah, like the mission statement um, of those comics have... is is none of, is no Megatron, no Optimus. Bumblebee is around, but he's he's very different type of Bumblebee. And like that is kind of, to some people, it was appealing. Like, oh, finally, we can get out from under the shadow yeah. of these giants. And the movie's like, no, no one else matters. (laughs) Yeah, but I do think the benefit that this movie has is that it's the first one that feels like, even if it isn't incorporating the the 30 years of lore that Mm. exists in the background of this franchise, it is using that to inform characterization for the most part. Like, and and, and, but importantly, it's using it to inform the characterization of the villains because Optimus is a absolute sociopath in this movie (laughs) he is not informed by any other interpretation of optimus prime one of his big lines in the movie is like what like let's kill them all or (laughs) yes (laughs) coming off the back of give me your face (laughs) he rips the fallen's fucking face off yes and Um... but like i do feel like the benefit of this movie is and i was talking was like giving shockwave soundwave laser beak Starscream, like actual material things to do in this movie, even if it is on a very limited palette, mm. and touching on the characterization that they've had in the comic books and the and the TV show and all the rest of it, gives a spine to this movie that yeah. you're able to hang Bay bullshit off of, but at yeah. least it's got like it. There is a reference point that something is able to like grow out of. Yeah, we're not quite aligned on this because like I I. I feel some of those people you said have things going on, but I feel some of them absolutely do not. But like oh, Shockwave I, I is definitely one of them, and he's who we're meeting next because in the time since the last movie, the Decepticons are thought to be gone. So Autobots are now helping the government like kill humans, basically, <laughs> like fight terrorists. Yeah, um, not the best political move at the start of this movie to open with an nope. unsanctioned attack on Egypt, which. <laughs> Yep. Wild and like the movie's just kinda like like the the Autobots do what they want. It's like the Autobots are deeply invested in <laughs> in the Middle East, are they? Yes, indeed. And another place they're invested is they are taken to Chernobyl, where Shockwave does attack with his big dope fucking drill. We all like the drill. The drill is cool. Uh Shockwave does get a cool design. It is still not G one, but you know, we're never gonna get G one, but you know, he's got yeah. his one eye, he's got his a giant gun instead of an arm like he doesn't talk but what if he was purple what if he was purple indeed yeah like it's it's a decent little scene like you know the local contact for the humans is like jittery and afraid he's not wearing protective gear we see Laserbeak watching him from the shadows kind of thing it's like yeah this is cool and like there's something in Chernobyl and it's like got Sputnik branding on it so like it will eventually come back around that the Soviets also went up to the moon at some point uh, or were going to and yeah blah 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 but Shockwave wants whatever this thing is 
Optimus rolls in and is like, let's fucking go. His trailer turns into a weapons gantry. I'm all about it. Uh, and he's fucking feral in, in this movie. Like he, he He's like <laughs> snarling and going sword and shield and slicing off tentacles. And it's like, okay, <laughs> calm down. So it's interesting that Peter Cullen seemingly has mm. no protective spirit over this character. Uh, yeah, I think he'll read whatever material they put in front of him. But I do that's, think that's thing he is like... gravitates towards certain Optimus-like behaviors. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I, it's just it's just it's interesting because obviously the, the another actor who we've spent like even if it is in like text form and stuff like that but we obviously talked a lot about kevin conroy who yeah. is another actor who is like very much associated with a big heroic character mm. in animation and whatnot yeah. and i feel like he is protective over batman and he is like choosy with what bat projects he does and like yeah, so he does Killing Joke, and obviously Killing Joke opens with the the prologue where where Bruce sleeps with Barbara Gordon, which yeah, is kind of gross. But like, I, for the most part, it does feel like he he picks and chooses his projects and doesn't necessarily like do the things where like, well, what if we did Grim Dark Batman and stuff like that? Like the some of the other more, I guess they are younger Batman in those ones, but like, mm. it, yeah, it, he wouldn't just, just do Batman like, whenever they asked them, but they also did also yes. stop asking him at a point. I think they thought he was too old, and it's like he can still do it. Like right up to his final days, he was as good at Batman as he ever was. It's, it's wild, but yeah. you can go read my essay about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah Peter like, Cullen is it, it. It doesn't feel as sentimental about. Uh, I think. Optimus, I think, and he, so you end up. With this, where he is, as you say, like a snarling sociopath, like yeah. wanting to just murder Decepticons. Yeah, like he's clearly, if he has any clout, he's not using it to stop Optimus from saying things like "Let's kill them all." I yeah, I think he may quietly disapprove of that kind of thing, but he's not like able to do anything about it. I think he prefers when Optimus is like a good noble hero. So Optimus is yet again grumpy with his government contacts. This time it's Francis McDormand slumming it. She's kind of fun. She's the most fun one of these we've had in three attempts. But she's also, I think she's one of those people who's quite publicly about, like, there's not many roles for women yeah. at this age. And so, like, I'll take this kind of role because it's a paycheck. And, yeah, like, and yeah, she is fun. Like, she actually yeah. gets things to do. And, like, I don't know, like, yes, her role is to be that kind of, like, annoying person holding back the heroes from doing things. But, mm. like, her point of view does make sense, which makes it a little bit more agreeable than other stuff and yeah it's not as extreme as like the guy that was like openly like i fucking hate the autobots like um the yeah, guy in revenge like, of the fallen that they throw out yeah, of a plane and ostensibly dies she's more like sam you're a civilian you're not involved in this anymore go away and she's got good reason to do that because eventually sam is captured by decepticons and becomes <laughs> a fucking spy like yeah um but optimus is grumpy that the government have been hiding the fact that this thing was on earth that is from the ark they do eventually head up there after he meets Buzz fucking Aldrin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, America. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 head up to the Ark. They they find Sentinel Prime, who is Optimus's immediate predecessor, and they find bits of space bridge technology, which is it, it's it's magical teleportation, basically. But it basically, it feels like that you can run them next to each other, and if you've got enough of them, you can teleport like big things through if you want to. Yeah, it's always a very ill-defined technology where like. Mm. 
in the comic books that we are discussing, like beforehand, Megatron's body is a is a space bridge, and so <laughs> he's able to teleport. In. So he's able to teleport like a shitload of Decepticons to a particular place. But it's like that. It's not like his body gets like split open by this space bridge. It's just like him generating yeah. a space bridge or whatever. And then this movie kind of like again, it's not like you make a circle and it opens a portal that you can squeeze certain things through. It's mm. like you do them in a ring and then it fires a space bridge off into space essentially yeah. i think actually the comics we were talking about like they one of the editorial mandates along with no optimus and no megatron was no space bridges um they wanted to <laughs> like isolate the camps away from each other and not just be popping over to earth for a bit and all that kind of thing meanwhile in africa <laughs> megatron is just intimidating wildlife and ordering hits on humans do we like his new alt form no um he's a truck now for some reason because he's the opposite of optimus i just i don't like when they radically change forms i don't like it in comics either like if you're a car i don't think you should just be a plane one day personally (laughs) like i think you can be a different type of car but like i don't think you should just be a plane or a boat or a fucking because he's (laughs) always been a cybertronian jet hasn't he uh, Megs has changed a lot. Um, no, Megs, Megs, I feel the, the movies, movies made him a jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a tank in the games, always... uh, and yes. I think tank has become the more acceptable thing in the comics too. He's a jet in the first two, and because none of them have any color, he and Starscream, it's just like slightly bigger Starscream. Both fly, and it's like mm, okay. I I bought a tiny Megatron for myself whilst out in America, nice. and his alt form is a tank. Nice, but again, it's because like you don't want to lose the giant gun arm that he's got, and so Absolutely. the only thing that makes sense with that is is a tank at this point. A really, gun he does not have in any of these movies. I don't think he has a comically large gun. Uh, major dig, major dig against this entire franchise. It's a it's a boon to this movie that Megatron is functionally out of this movie for the vast majority of it. Like, mm. it's a shame that they've given Hugo Weaving this amount of money, but like, it is weird how sidelined Megatron is yeah. in all three of these movies. It, it's very strange. I will give them this. Like, this it's... is like one of like four scenes he has in this whole movie, isn't yeah. it? And they call it, I think fans have called it like, oh, he, despite having a decent amount of screen time and lines, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's barely in it. Um, I'll give them this. Robots in cloaks or capes is objectively dope as fuck. I don't know why, it just is. So he's in his tattered robe as he's being repaired. He's kind of like given up on life a little bit. You yeah, know, I forget it, how like I forget what happened in the end of the last movie, but he's got like half a head at this point, doesn't yeah, he? Where like, it. and there's a yeah. There's a tiny robot trying to fix his like brain module, and then there's a uh, one of Michael Bay's obsessions is tiny deformed robots scuttling around called Igor, which is obviously a reference to Frankenstein's monster and all the rest of it. But it's just like I don't I don't understand it because it's not like who is Igor? Why is Igor like that? Mm-hmm. I feel um, like you could what... have actually said Frankenstein there instead of monster because he is literally Dr. Frankenstein's assistant, isn't he? <laughs> he is Digital Frankenstein's It's like the one instance where you can say Frankenstein. <laughs> um, Let's not get into the semantics of Frankenstein. <laughs> okay, fine. Yes, Megs is attended by. I've always said Igor, but maybe that's Americans and that's where I hear it from more. But okay, we'll go with Igor. Uh, also, Starscream, Soundwave, who is now a car. Hate it. And Laserbeak, who, goddamn star of this fucking movie. Like, the best villain in the live-action franchise, by far, to me. Uh, Voiced by the incredible Keith Zarabaka, who 
that's probably very wrong but like he is an incredible voice actor um he's been in a bunch of live action he's in the fucking dark knight i think he's the one that like says i'll try not to enjoy this when the joker's like do you want to hear how many of your friends i've killed maybe he's not him he's he's someone in the dark knight uh, i think like, he's in the a, sopranos a perennial, like a perennial actors like a, that guy kind of thing. yeah the thing that i've seen him in most recently he's holtz in angel the the angels like rival who angel like murdered his family hundreds of years ago and now he's come to the present to fuck him up but he has this really iconic voice um but yeah he's laser beak he fucking rules oh he's gilgamesh in chocobo gp yep (laughs) you know it he's gilgamesh quite a lot actually yeah i believe he's a doctor in the sopranos i don't know he's done transformers work he's done like dark side anything where you need like a he has this like very low timber and it's it's really good and he's creepy but yeah like Laserbeak, like, because obviously the whole gimmick of Soundwave is Soundwave turns into a boombox and he's got cassette tapes that fly out of his chest mm-hmm. and they're his like little minions and they're like we we've mentioned them on on past episodes and stuff like that but he, mm-hmm. like it's a it's a really cool character who's in G one and he's kind of got like it, it's like five or six in the early going isn't it that's like made up of Laserbeak, Ratbat, um, Frenzy, Rumble, Frenzy, and Ravage. Yeah. yeah, so those are those, those are the main ones we've we've talked about ravage in previous episodes where mm-hmm. ravage is the is the cat and the, but this one is like laser beak basically is like the only one that is kind of actually taking on the vibe of what soundwave is where soundwave is like flitting between like tvs and sound systems and stuff like that and being a spy hanging on the walls of various people yeah it's, his cassettes are like his little spy agents they go out and do his bidding and report back to him like he's an he is like an intelligence officer he is a communications officer he's Soundwave's great, and he has, like, no presence in these fucking movies. And that's really sad to me. I understood the satellite, and I understand how you then go from satellite to, like, we need him to be on Earth, he can't be a satellite. But how do you land on just fucking generic car, like... Because he's doing the spy work, and they give fucking. I know that Carly he's the car, car that they? they gift, and that is, you know, of course the car he's she's been gifted is a Decepticon, but, like, I don't know. Like, at least, if you're going to make him a car, have the fucking... Commit to the cassettes. Have them come out of his car stereo or something. <laughs> but they they think cassettes are goofy. So so Laserbeak is, is like he's like a tiny little like Tyrannodon. I I feel in 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 most things, but he's more like a Condor in this, and uh, he's great. He's really creepy. He's a master of disguise, and one of those I really really want to talk about because he turns himself into a small pink bumblebee, and he sits in on a tea party with a little girl. For what I hope is a really long time. Unclear. <laughs> I hope he spent 45 minutes going, yes, yes, oh, yes, to this little girl. So she he can murder her father, basically. What is the implication here? That kids know and like Bumblebee? Or Laserbeak is like, I need to look friendly and presentable. Oh, Bumblebee's great. I'll be Bumblebee. Like, well, I think that's the, the <laughs> movie's got a very weird relationship to what the actual public status of mm-hmm. the Transformers is, mm-hmm. because it's like, do the are the public aware? Do they know what's like the the vibe of everything is? Megatron it, went like, on television and said, "Bring me Sam Witwicky." Of course, people know what Transformers are. Like, yeah, but is it like one of those things where it's like Ghostbusters, where like twenty years later, everyone's just kind of going like, "Yeah, I guess there were like ghosts in New York twenty years ago." We don't really <laughs> talk about it anymore. Um, yeah, you, like here's all this stuff that's covered in dust no one's like ever talked about it really it's kind of an urban legend at this point (laughs) yeah but basically a a big element of this movie is that decepticons have been using human collaborators and they all need silencing now so laser beak which again 
again, right. it's so weird that these movies are not connected anyway, where it's just like this movie is all of a sudden dropping and going like, yeah, like we've been collaborating with humans all along. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no help in the previous two instances where like humans would be helpful, especially in like seemingly high up corporate positions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you have to view each of these movies as like an independent like brain wipe of the previous one, even if they do <laughs> reference things that happened yeah. in the previous one. And I think it's a also, very soft continuity. <laughs> yeah, but also I don't. I'm confused what their goal is with all these assassinations because it feels like they're going all in out. Asylum, no, like, aren't they? Like, like no paper trail. But it's like, what do you care? You're a fucking sixty foot murder robot. <laughs> well, that's the thing. But they they murder them all until they get to Ken Jeong, who is allowed to, like, live for a little bit of time until they eventually go, like, actually, no, we're going to push him out a window. Which is so weird, because he's the only one who is trying to disseminate this information out there. And it's like, surely the the seconds after, like, you just murder him the moment Sam walks in that room, and instead they, like, it's weird in how long they take to to kill him. So, like, yeah, Lazerbeak is on his grand death tour. This takes him to Sam's current place of employment where he works for John fucking Malkovich. I do really like one of the interviewers, when he's going for jobs, one of them is basically his age. That feels very (laughs) depressing and pointed. His father says three months out of school and he can't even find a job. And it's just like, that is so accurate to a certain generation. And, like, realistically, most people finish university and, like, are just unemployed for a really long time these days. Yeah. And I love that his Obama medal doesn't actually impress anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Like, one guy's just like, well, we were Republicans here. And it's like, okay, but surely a... President's the president, the president, man. Yeah. <laughs> Trump wouldn't have given you a medal for saving New York. Um, yeah. Mike, Michael Bay is is getting in there early with the discussion around um, uh, like how bipartisan the country's getting at this point. Mm-hmm. He's in there, like, right in there, and he's just like, yeah, nah, like, yeah. no longer would any Democrat like any Republican or any Republican <laughs> like any Democrat. Uh, so one of his co-workers is Ken Jeong, who is doing Ken Jeong things. I generally don't actually care for him, and like even in community, I'm like, oh, he's like not my kind of comedy at all. It's very obvious that Ken Jeong is like a really nice, intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. Like like all everything I've ever heard about him is like how nice and and like cool and funny he is. Like there's like one story going around where someone was at a um, I think they were at a wedding. And like they were sat at a table with a with the doctor, and the doctor was saying like, yeah, but my real passion in life is comedy. And he got up and like did a little bit of stand up at this wedding, and everyone was like rolling around on the floor and stuff like that. And then, like a year later, they went to the cinema to see The Hangover, and was like, that's the doctor I was at yeah. a wedding with. Yeah, because he was for a long time billed as Doctor Ken, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Or did he have a show I mean, called Doctor Ken? He yeah. had a show called Doctor Ken. He is a licensed medical he is, doctor. Yeah. He seems like a nice man. He just, like, I feel his style of comedy, he just really plays to the lowest common denominator, and it's all, like, heavily racial-based and gay panic-based and stuff like that. Like, he does do things that, like, I think are incredibly funny in community and stuff, but, like, he, in this movie, he is fully in gay panic mode. They are doing the, like, absolute nonsense in the bathroom. He He's trying to tell Sam, like, oh, I've got the 411 on what's going on. Like, oh, the dark of the moon, man, blah, 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 blah dark side of the moon he's he's the one who calls it the dark side doesn't he or like yeah. he says like full plink void yeah he says all kinds of shit it's it, it's an insane character. I mean, he's because what he's coming off the point now where like he's on community but community is obviously struggling with what to do with him like very noticeably because it's like they keep on rebooting what his character's status quo is every single season yeah but he's also just finished the hangover no sorry 
Hangover 2 is also this year, so he's still coasting off of like that. And I feel like when is he good in movies? Because obviously he goes. <laughs> the question was still waiting massively, on an He goes massively viral from The Hangover. He does. For like being naked in the trunk of that car. Mm-hmm. But like, I like him in role models. It's been a while. Sorry. Like he, because he's the he's the like head of the head of. Oh, the he's the head lapper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he's like playing like again. He's good at dickish authority figures. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like you give him a little bit of low status, and it immediately unravels. Like the weird vibe with Andy Daly in this movie, where like, <laughs> yeah. like Andy Daly, who I absolutely adore. If you've yeah. not seen, if you've not seen Review, go watch Review. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best shows of the 2010s. But like, yeah, him, him showing up and like they're like goggling their over little, their little fucking feud. <laughs> Is quite funny, uh, but yeah, everyone's ogling. Uh... Everyone's googling like uh, Carly, and then he knocks. Um, what is Andy Daly's character's name? Andy Daly's character is named Donnie. He knocks Donnie's like document out of his hands, and Donnie is just like, "I'm gonna fuck you up." <laughs> and <laughs> they have like this odd intent. Like this is where I want the comedy to be. Like, why have these two got such an intense hatred for each other? Not like. Ken Jeong is mounting Shia LaBeouf in the bathroom and then walking out with his trousers down and like. But also, yeah. what Ken Jeong is like forty years old Damn. and apparently he was involved in pro- software programming for NASA for a, a moon mission. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, unless there was other stuff going on afterwards, I, I don't understand. Also, like, surely that like sets you for life because everyone else we meet who's like involved in this is like massively, massively rich, yeah. and he's like just you know like he, he he has a title on office. his door yeah yeah but not enough that like andy daly isn't willing to like fuck him up so he's obviously not like on the board of directors or anything yeah i do like that when carly comes to visit the office one of john malkovich's suggestions of who this person is is a facebook friend it's like why would a facebook <laughs> friend come to his office and sit I, also, on the I edge do of the share, desk? i do i do like his obsession with color that yes. is a, a, a fun bit where like yellow cup the on the red floor or whatever it is and... and like they just like just shame this woman and she runs off crying she's not even fired like no. it's just like how dare you ruin the aesthetic and i do this. feel they they play that with like sorry it's the yellow floor and someone had a red cup and they're in trouble yes. but like carly gifts him twizzlers because he likes red and like that's allowed to pass because carly's hot so i don't know it's kind of fun but yeah like Laserbeak then targets ken jong's character says he's going to suicide him and then super does like <laughs> like makes it look like suicide and throws him out a window and john malkovich is like call legal that's Jerry. <laughs> like, I just love that line reading. It's like the two different priorities there. So yeah, like Sam is then attacked by Laserbeak as well, who disguises himself yeah, like the, as like a it, TV and then a photocopier. It seemed like they were doing like deep cover at first, and then yeah. Laserbeak is just like, no, Sam Witwicking needs to die and yeah. die in like immediately way. Yeah, so Sam runs to tell the Autobots that, oh no, there are still Decepticons here. I feel bad for Shia LaBeouf in the, and I shouldn't because he seems like he's a bad person, but like, this scene where he's having to shit-talk armed guards and he's just descending into screaming and rambling, and I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> like, is this just real? I mean, he's obviously a very intense person. He's, yeah. I mean, I will say, he's given some of my favourite performances of kind of the last 10-15 years. I think he is 
absolutely superb in American Honey, which is him going like full like scumbum kind mm. of level and stuff like that and actually using some of the energy that he's got but he does he, this is like the start of him having that weird almost like demented energy yeah. he got that, that reputation of being like really really angry and intense and i think it comes out of the back of this and like his public it's, it's meltdowns kind of, and yeah. yeah it's this run where he's doing the transformers movies he's in indiana jones and he's not getting good because like, then you turn around and he does like fury which is obviously like and you hear things like he's pulling of... his teeth out to exactly. improve his role and, and... and it's like are you okay <laughs> like yeah and like, it's, not no. a, it's not a group of like unmanly men actors but even then you've got like interviews with the people on that set and they're just like yeah he was he was not okay mm. and it's weird he's obviously he's self-aware he does his artistic stuff there's obviously like all kinds of things going on in his life but it's, it's so hard to talk about him because he's so bland as a leading man but he can be so electrifying in a supporting role which actually kind of like digging into some of his stuff but then you read the quotes about like his treatment of people like fga twigs and you're just like yeah no mm -hmm. this is yeah, yeah, gross and yeah yeah so his character like role in this movie is he's frustrated that he's been frozen out after helping save the world twice um you know he struggled to get a job bumblebee isn't his friend anymore he's off doing his government killer job um you know how it goes and like they keep you know, he comes to Ness to warn them, and they're like, yeah, whatever, kid, go away. And, like, even when he's trying to be a spy, and, like, he's, he's coerced into being a spy by the Decepticons, they still will, like, barely talk to him, and then, like, he is the one that leads the big mission. I don't think it's a terribly interesting character direction for him. But No, this uh, is 100% just, it's a leftover of someone at Hasbro has gone, like, we need a Witwicky at the centre of these movies, um, and Michael Bay is... Michael Bay is so uninterested and is immediately more interested in like, well, let's swap to military people. But like, <laughs> there's no. It is emotion. kind of weird that like he didn't just go the whole hog and just have Lennox be the main character of this franchise. Well, mm. exactly. Like it, it. I mean, not that Lennox gets a lot to do in this movie. No, Lennox he's also is... boring. It's just like given his raging hard on for the military and given Josh Dumel was, in theory, a bigger name than Shia LaBeouf when they started these things. And given Tyrese is like you know he's not like huge but he's a recognizable. He's, ju he's just about to blow up yeah. with like Fast Five is kind of going to take him to like I don't yeah. know how much money like I was listening to a podcast discussing Fast X and they're just like the the kind of the core group of guys that involves like Tyrese and Ludacris at this point <laughs> must be so fucking rich from these movies they have to be making a stupid amount every time they do like, Ludacris hasn't made music in like a decade <laughs> like, and he's still in these things right I don't know but I assume he is um, he is still in them okay but just like I know you would eliminate the stuff that Bay also likes which is the like awkward sexy teen comedy but like you could probably recapture that somewhere by just having someone in their platoon be like like a sleazy ladies man and like I don't know or just have or just have Lennox have a wife or something or yeah, Tyrese yeah, yeah. have a wife like you meet like all you need to do is swap out Carly for like that role yeah. and have like, like Lennox runs into a hot army lady who yeah, just steal Top Gun and like he doesn't know that like she's in the military and yeah whatever but like they're putting so much weight on Carly to be the emotional drive of the end of this and it's like in this movie I think because she's so ineffective and is basically there to drive the plot she i think shouts I'm more at able... megatron until he decides to get back in the game yes and that's one of well, the i think i'm moments. able to like 
I'm able to switch off and just kind of enjoy the, the spectacle of it all, even if the movie is riding so much on like her relationship with Sam and her relationship with her boss in a mm-hmm. in a very fun turn from Patrick Dempsey. I think yes, Patrick Dempsey McDreamy is, like... is is her boss and is a weirdo billionaire who gives her cars and has a montage of photos together on the wall and like you have to assume this was written at a point of view where like Megan Fox was gonna come back because it's weird that like it feels like she was hired to be a mechanic and not yeah. a... It's a big um, car guy, and like I feel like Carly's background is like is somehow military, but like her family she, are military. military adjacent, but like was a a diplomat or a foreign diplomat at yeah. the White House. Whereas, at the same whereas time Michaela that... was a mechanic, and like you know her father's mechanic business got back got going again, and like the next step up would be she's hired as for like a giant like fancy car company and then like clearly is like the office's <laughs> her boss's like sexual desire and then yeah like this is played for like Shire is like constantly being like oh so he just gave you a car did he and just all this shit and like none of it's terribly interesting it must um, be so boring to be an Autobot or a Decepticon that's on a spy mission where you're a car yeah. like they do a lot of it in like the early comics that we've been talking about where like like prowl is like because he's a police car he's undercover and yeah, like he spent six months or something or longer as just like a police car like being dri- yeah do you think there's like a backseat driver element going on where like they're driving you badly and you're like oh just take that turn like no not there like indicate fuck sound wave just deeply bored being driven around by by carly but none of that's very good but like while sam is there trying to warn them uh sentinel is brought back online by the matrix and he is voiced by one leonard nimoy who famously voiced galvatron in the animated movie um michael bay wanted him to be the fallen in the previous movie but was too embarrassed to ask him because leonard nimoy is married to michael or was married to michael bay's cousin um r.i.p leonard nimoy so like he was like I feel like I'm exploiting the family connection by asking him, and yeah, but he did this time around, and I don't know, it's fine. Like, he's got a suitable, like, gravitas voice, but all of Sentinel's dialogue is garbage, so, like, what it, does it it's matter? So much, it's so much better than The Fallen, and at least it is. it is pulling from, like, characterization that existed elsewhere. Like, I don't know, like, I'm not saying it's good, but, like, the fact that he's, his villain turn, spoilers, happens... <laughs> You get it. You get it. He's like, no, actually, I, I'm, I'm of an old way, and I liked it when like there were fewer black people, basically. You know, like yeah, it's I mean, that I, kind I, there, of. There's, like... there's a, there's just there's more to it because the last couple of movies, the villain has shown up like ten, fifteen minutes before the end, or like has not had much to do. Whereas like, there's enough there with Sentinel that like. I don't know, like, because, I guess it is because this movie descends into, like, an extended 40-minute hour-long, like, action set piece at the end of it, mm-hmm. that they have to front-load all that characterization, yeah. or what little there is, so you're more able to buy it, rather than, like, other movies in the franchise where, like, Megatron wakes up ten minutes before the end, and it's just, like, a big explosion <laughs> fest to kind of, like, finish this off, or yeah. The Fallen, where it is just visual noise and nonsense and like optimus offers to give the matrix back and he's like no 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 you're prime now don't worry about it and he's like oh no you might have you would have been a better leader than me and and all this stuff i was i was thinking the point where like optimus is like waking up with sentinel prime and stuff like that he's like it's me optimus prime and it's like would he know nope (laughs) you're optimus prime nope 
Uh, but they're not going to say the words Orion fucking packs in this movie, are they? <laughs> so... No, I know. But it is just this one moment where I was just much, like, are we saying that they, they're existed in multiple primes at the same time? Like, mm-hmm. what on earth is the... Are we get, getting at here? Yeah, it's a weird thing. So Sam, because he was sort of shunned by the officials, goes to find Simmons. John Turturro is back. He's doing interviews from his living room with Bill O'Reilly. It's, it's a whole fucking dumbass thing. He has an assistant called Dutch, who speaks German, despite being called Dutch, played by Alan Tudyank, who, in a bizarre turn of events, claims he is reprising his role uh, from the Sandra Bullock movie 28 Days. And his own headcanon is this guy went out and became like a, a fucking hired killer or like a elite soldier... And then that was too much for him, so he transitioned over to being a valet for Simmons. So he he briefly loses it and goes psycho killer, and then like pulls himself back. And it's like, if that's what it took for you to have fun on the set of this movie, then I applaud you. But wow, <laughs> do you reckon he asked to be named like Dutch Gerhardt and was like, ah, that's the name of a character from a previous movie? I'm going to like head canon this in like a weird way, or was it just the character's name was Dutch in the script, and he was like. I mean, I guess I played Dutch previously. Like, I, I, I want to know like how he linked these up because it's definitely an invention from him. It's not like Aaron Kruger, like, comes to him and goes like, "I'm a huge fan of 28 yeah. Days." Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I accidentally rented this instead of 28 Days Later, like many people. Um, <laughs> have you seen 28 Days? I have. What it's do you right. think of it? I think I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't really remember it that well. It was on TV once. That's, yeah. that's our 28 days chat. Well, <laughs> a very logical movie to discuss in the Transformers episode. Again, Tudyk is like another person in this movie who's like, yeah, he's overqualified to do what you're asking him to do. And I think that like raises the quality. I think as the actors they're getting mm. become more qualified to do the things they're asking them to do, like the more enjoyable the human stuff gets. Mm-hmm. And guess. so we're a ways away from like the friend in the last movie who is like absolutely no one and has done nothing since and is like a complete drain and and again the other thing that also benefits is we're not in a situation where every character has a shadow who is like pointlessly there like it is actually kind of a stripped down cast for the most part like it is like again like Totoro is the only one who comes as an assistant and I feel like Dutch actually gets things to do that benefit everyone like Mm. he is the one who's reprogramming the bridges in the final fight this is difficult but not for me Um, yeah yeah. don't worry though TJ Miller's coming next time but yeah they they all collectively uncover a cosmonaut conspiracy and luckily the exact russians they need to find are all in america so they don't have to leave the country yeah there were photographs of space bridge components being smuggled by decepticons on the moon and like they they come to the conclusion that they're trying to get to sentinel to activate the space bridge sentinel happily instead reveals himself as like working with the decepticons rather than like and then yeah fucking murders ironhide yes our one hour allegedly emotional death this time is ironhide um who sentinel just offs from behind i mean i have to assume they're coming down like we can't kill b we can't kill mm-hmm. optimus mm-hmm. ironhide is the only other autobot who's had like multiple lines that ratchet like, has been is in, in this movies. movie but like doesn't do anything i don't think and yeah, it's got to be Ironhide who got to talk a little bit. So, because Sideswipe was in the last movie, yeah, and I feel like did put no impact in. A whole bunch of Autobots have died off screen. Yeah, like I was like, 
why is RC Elite One and well, uh, Chromia liked them? But yeah, I mean, <laughs> but then they're not even acknowledged, and they're like, and also there's the weird thing where like we've got Wheelie Mirage and... who is Dino because he's a Ferrari, and Ferrari were very particular about the use of Ferrari in this movie, so they insisted Mirage be renamed Dino after Enzo Ferrari's son. And also, he was supposed to be executed near the end, and they were like, no, Ferrari cannot die. So, <laughs> Dino's just there. Allegedly, Mirage, who is now in theatres played by Pete Davidson. But here he is, just a red car with an Italian accent. Famously, Sideswipe is meant to be red, but we have now this Mirage-Dino hybrid, which is red, while Sideswipe is silver. Things like that annoy me, I don't know why. But we also no, have Wheeljack, I... who is Q, Q. instead. So As he's in not IQ wheel because jack. he's there, like he, well, he, he is the weapons designer, which is kind of Wheeljack's shtick. Yes. Wheeljack definitely... also now in Rise of the Beasts with a very different design. So I guess he's not Wheeljack. Like they they talk about like there's the ten Autobots, and you're like, okay, that's the kind of the group from the last movie. But instead, they've got rid of like four of them, and they've added like four new ones. But also like Skids and the twins, the, 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 two, the twins from the last movie. The twins are there for one shot at the beginning. They're yeah, in Michael Egypt. Bay owes people twenty five grand. He he said, I will bet you like I can't remember if he said two thousand five hundred or twenty five thousand. He's like, I will bet you this amount of money they're not in the movie, and then they are in the background of one of the shots. So we are all collectively owed like a dollar by Michael Bay, I think. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like, and th- but then they introduce the new Autobots who are, for the most part, the Wreckers. I mean, obviously we've said, like, there's... Don't. You need to talk about them. No. There's Mirage and Wheeljack who don't have their proper names. And then there's the Wreckers, which... I mean, the most prominent one is Leadfoot. Is that I the feel. John DiMaggio one? That's the John DiMaggio one who's, like, big red and, like, chomp- chomping on the cigar, which is kind of Cup's role. They all turn into NASCAR driver. like, And none of that means anything to me. And it's like, yeah, I see that Dale Earnhardt is, is there, and I know that's a NASCAR man, but, like, am I supposed to recognise that that's his car? Like, apparently... They think there's a Venn diagram of NASCAR enthusiasts and Transformers enthusiasts, but they also don't really get much to do. Like no. they just kind of like they show up and like they're the ones helping put together like a spaceship and like they're in or the they're final guarding fight the and... spaceship that brought the second wave of Autobots. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. It's just like the the movies are so obviously bored, and it feels like the kind of thing that's fodder for tie-in comic books that aren't very good. To like, yeah. here's how these ones die, and then here's how these new guys showed up or whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah, and like this sentinel scene is preceded by another very blah motorway action scene. Should probably acknowledge that, like, a scene in the first movie with them, like, ice skating across the motorway, maybe the fandom's absolute favorite action scene, and we were just, like, completely unimpressed. And, like, these are the scenes that, like, we gloss right over because they do nothing for us. And, like, these are, like, this is the meat for them. It's like, oh, yeah, when Optimus is fighting that guy whose name no one can remember, oh, man, like. Okay, sure. Like, they're all... Like, we have this standoff with, like, a group of them, and, like, they're all grey, they're all jagged, I can't tell who's who, whatever. Sentinel reveals himself. It's just not good. And then, like, Megatron, like, sits on Lincoln's chair, like, the big Lincoln statue, he, like, destroys it and then sits on the chair. This whole sequence is so bizarre, because... Like, I don't, like, I don't, like, they they start an assault, and then they kind of stop the assault, and then, I don't know, like, there's, there's a, no... Like, Optimus, like, tackles Sentinel, and they wrestle a little bit. They will come to a standoff, and Sentinel will be like, I've spared your life because I respect you. And then, what, 
Optimus just wanders off into the night while there's just Decepticons just everywhere. Like, and this is what I'm talking about when I say his dialogue is nonsense. He, they do this twice. He says, on Cybertron, we were gods. Here they call us machines. That doesn't make any fucking sense. If you're all together with no other life forms, how are any of you gods? Like, God is, like, in in relation to lesser beings, and here they call us machines. Like, how do you fucking know? You've been on the moon for fucking... And why does he have an alt mode? Like, he's been on the moon for 60 years. <laughs> yeah, like, this is where the movie starts to fall apart, where yeah. it's like, what was holding it apart made sense in some regards, and now mm-hmm. the plan has been revealed... He wants to bring Cybertron to Earth, which I have note written down, lol, what, four, four question marks. Like, what does that mean? Like, they're just going to bring it so it's in the media orbit of Earth? Like, is that not going to just fuck up all the gravity of, of our well, solar system? Well, I guess system? all they care about is the slave labour, but I don't know what they need the slave labour for, because... <laughs> to help rebuild Cybertron. But they're going to be better at it, aren't they? Surely, like, the... <laughs> yeah. The, the robot people with drill arms are going to be more efficient than us fucking bags of flesh. Yeah, I can I cannot drill as many tons of, of unbreakable metal a day as Impactor can. I'm sorry, but I just can't. But then I'm also just confused about, like, so, so the plan is there have been Decepticons on the moon mm-hmm. for forever? They have... Uh, no, I think they were supposed to be in the Ark. Like, because Sentinel made a truce with Megatron... Right, and so I they think were they were in a secret a whole load of... of Decepticons. Yeah, but then I they so. blew up. They blew up the Ark. I think they just the made it look did? as though. I think it was like staged so that like he could. I don't know. I don't fucking but, know. Right, <laughs> like yeah. This, this no, this as I'm saying it, that doesn't no make sense. sense. No, no, it doesn't. None of it makes sense. And no. there, but then it's just like the movie is now like right. Come on, just this enjoy is what it, I was talking about. Where I'm like. Up to a certain point, I think the movie might be like actually good, and then it just goes, it overloads on nonsense, and then it just descends into being like, okay, whatever. Because, um, yeah, we're now at the point where, like, basically, every, like, Sentinel Prime is just like, you need to banish the Autobots, and the Earth <laughs> government is just like, yep, sure, we'll go do that. <laughs> you got it. And then Starscream. The sliding scale of how much power they all have is insane. Like, they all load up onto their ship, and off they all go. And then Starscream fires some rockets and blows up the ship. So he is strong enough to take down a thing holding every single Autobot by himself. I guess if there's a lot of fuel on a no, rocket ship... No, no, but... no. Fuck off. Like, this like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me, but... But yeah, like, before this, Sam has been cornered by Patrick Dempsey. Yes, who Carly's boss to... is another of the Decepticon sympathizers. They take her hostage... They're like, go find out if the if the Autobots have a secret plan. So you've got Shia doing like, reacting to fake electric shock acting, not good. And like, why does it let go of him and not kill him? Like, why is he not a loose end in all of this? <laughs> Again, like, so he can go get her back and all the rest of it. And yeah. and basically, once he's got her back, he teams up with like Simmons and Dutch and Tyrese, and is just like, right. We're going on an assault on... Everyone to Chicago, yes. And I love that they try and play, like, we're going to get the band back together with Nest, as if that's meant to mean anything. Like, there are two people in Nest that we care about, and we don't even care about them. 
and it's just like here's a montage of us going to get a bunch of bald bearded men to come and back to their like, para- it's so, paramilitary it's force. so weird because like yeah like they do this like montage they're showing like how bad Chicago looks where like the, the Decepticons are like taking over and mm-hmm. how no one can get close because there's so many drones flying around that are shooting down all the planes and the drones and whatnot and meanwhile there's like brooding music going on and then at the end of this they get there immediately go fuck we can't do this and then the Autobots just show up and are just like sorry we we joked you we both for like it. 10 minutes we're, yeah, all alive. Yeah. we're all alive we were in a different bit of the rocket that detached safely it's like what if Starscream had blown that up as well like <laughs> doesn't make you sound smart like it is bizarre that of like 10 minutes they're like the Autobots are all dead and we're like well they're obviously not dead yeah. but then they're like just kidding we're not dead hey, they did like, it okay, before we knew this. they did it before they killed Optimus in the first 10 minutes of Transformers the movie <laughs> Um, but no, he is. But they did, they killed Optimus this. halfway through the last movie, and they yeah, expected they Ironhide to be that in this movie, and they did. then they did, and then we get like the the, the it's just chaos across Chicago for forty yeah. minutes. The and concluding like... forty minutes of this movie make no sense geographically. Where like <laughs> Sam goes to rescue Carly, like manages to get her out, manages to kill Laserbeak, gets saved by Bumblebee, and then they're like, right, we now need to cross the river to get back to the building that we were just in. There's a like... magical red pillar that like controls the whole space bridge, which Patrick Dempsey took the trouble of explaining to Carly for some reason. <laughs> it is just funny that like Sam gets there so easily. Yeah, it's like, oh, we can't possibly get into Chicago, and then they just do, and then he's just fine, and they're like, well, we can't go deeper into Chicago, like... Yeah, like we need to climb up another really tall building so that we can shoot a rocket across the river to take out this thing. While also but, bringing in some wingsuit troops who are also going to try and shoot it, and like, it's... People are teleporting and also around there are, Chicago. There are also Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs are coming yeah. in from the water, and it's like, all of this is cool. None of this is like a well thought out military tactic where it's like <laughs> Sam went to go save one person succeeded yeah. and now they're just like right we can never do that again we cannot go as easily over to this side uh, ever again we have to climb this building with the Decepticons looking at us where they shoot out like all the foundation of the building causing it to like start it, like, folds in half yeah and it's like yeah in theory this is a cool thing with actors sliding down diagonally of a very high height it's very mission impossible kind of but and like you know the the wingsuit photography is really it's like oh yeah that's really cool you actually did that that's cool but like these pockets here and there of like that's actually quite technically impressive are just lost among generic transformers teleporting around the city this is they kill someone and you don't know who they've killed and you're like was that a big victory i guess it was i know he killed starscream for an uncomfortably long time yeah sam like has been given various things by q slash wheeljack like he's been given a grappling hook and like bombs and stuff like that he manages to shoot the grappling hook into starscream's eye and then insert the bomb into his other eye blinding him Mm -hmm. and then him and Lennox are like flapping off the it side. It just goes of on for such a long time. It's very strange. Yeah, like Starscream is like, I'm blind, I can't see anything, but I'm going to step on you. And he's like trying to step on him. And then eventually, like, they fall off the building and Bumblebee, like, catches them as a robot and lands as a car so that, like, yeah, they get they to do, do that cool twice. It's emotion. kind of cool, yeah. but yeah. Hey, like, 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 rule of cool for this entire last sequence. I have to give it this. This is the best sustained action sequence at the end of one of these movies. It does not make a lick of sense. I still don't care benefit, about it, though. Like, No, that's it. But the benefit it does have is that, like, I almost wish Soundwave 
not Soundwave. I almost wish Shockwave was the the major villain of this whole movie yep. because him stalking people through the city with his giant drill thing mm-hmm. is cool. It is, but he hasn't been in the movie for ninety minutes. So yeah, I know he's fucked off. Th- this is what I said to you that like you know they they blow their load with Megatron too early and they don't make enough of him. And then, like, they never really do much with Starscream, Soundwave, or Shockwave. Like, of those, Shockwave is the coolest one in these. But, like, you have these iconic, like, secondary generals, and each one of them probably could have supported almost a whole movie of, like, his Starscream's attempt. You know, like, you get rid of Megatron early and you bring him back late, and in, in the time in between, what do his three most trusted generals look like when they're in charge? And, like, Shockwave is a very different character to the other two, and, like, there is clearly enough here visually. I know the drill was technically difficult, but he doesn't have to always have the drill. But, like, there was enough here with Shockwave, like, in terms of how he's written, and, like, as you say, him stalking them, and, like, they are all genuinely scared as he's on the streets below and they're looking down on him as, like, uh-oh, it's looking at me kind of thing. He could have been a villain in this goddamn movie. And, like, one of the three of them could have had an alliance with Sentinel. And, like, it probably would have made more sense for one of them to partner up with... Like, Starscream is probably the one I'm I'm thinking of here. But, like, it makes more sense than Megatron, who, like, you know, he and Sentinel are bickering. And he's like, oh, I work with you, not for you. And he, like, roughs him up a bit and stuff like that. There's so much other stuff going on in this movie. And it keeps on putting stuff that isn't interesting or building into anything into the focus. And it's like... I want to see more of like what Soundwave's deal is with the spies that he's employing. I want to yep. see more of like Shockwave stalking people across the country. Like, why is yep. Shockwave not the one who gets to kill an Autobot at the halfway mark? Instead, he gets that opening set piece, and then he's the the kind of really the big bad of this entire final stretch because he is the one that is like going toe to toe with everyone. Like, yeah. all everyone needs to fucking team up to take down Shockwave at the end. Whereas Sentinel and Megatron are like both left for optimus to take down yeah. brutally at the very end hey you remember in the previous movie where jetfire gave his life to turn optimus into a sick like flying optimus who was overpowered yes. as shit and then optimus was like ah bored and just dropped him and now he's just got his own special extra wingsuit and it's like you could have just kept the jetfire wings bro and just is had it them not supposed away. to be jetfire it's darker if it's not jetfire I, I just thought, like, they all have vehicles in this. Like, they have, like, gunships and, and planes and, and little mech suits. I just assumed it was, like, one of these lying around. I didn't know it was supposed to be the return of the Jetfire wings. That's really funny to me if he was, like, I'm bored of these Jetfire wings. And then he just picked up some some different wings. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy the shot of, like, the Wreckers trying to cut Optimus down because he's got stuck in the building <laughs> whilst trying to attack Soundwave, uh, whilst trying to attack Shockwave. Yeah. That's a fun bit that they do, where it's like, this is dumb that Optimus is, like, out because he got tangled in some wires, <laughs> but, like, uh, I'm here for it if, like, it, it just is a visual joke that actually explains where someone is. Yeah. Whereas... Like no, as we've said, like no one else makes sense where they are. Like there's a line where they're like four Autobots have been captured, and like Bumblebee is off to go help out some stuff, and then Bumblebee's captured, and then they start like executing Autobots. And... Yeah, and like Patrick Dempsey's character seems to realize he's been an idiot, and like oh, I'm not gonna have a favorable position on the slave planet. But then he's like giving orders to them. He's like, hey, execute prisoners, man. And it's like oh, so you're back on their side? Like I thought you were starting to see the light a little bit, but. Yeah, and like they they off cue, they're gonna kill Bumblebee, but then like you know he's saved at the last second, and that cue death is brutal. It is, it is just like, yeah. 
Yeah. They shoot him through the chest and then they shoot him in the head. And he's just like the entire time starts going like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, what are you gonna, why are you going to murder me? Even though Optimus has been like, we're going to kill them all. So Optimus clearly wasn't going to be taking prisoners yeah. and like... Optimus has now I... said, we will kill them all and you die. Which he says to Shockwave, I think. And then, yeah, we get this final... Like, Shockwave is, is killed and like, Soundwave is out there, I think. But like, uh, Starscream's dead and... We have this kind of Sentinel versus Optimus versus Megatron fight after Carly has yelled at Megatron to get back in the game, and it's the writing here is fucked because you have like Megatron is like, who would you be without me, Prime? And it's like, what does that mean? Given like they <laughs> they've shared seen, like, screen the, the... for fewer than ten minutes, I think. Yeah, like there is no intimation that there is a relationship between these two characters that existed before this movie, because yeah. as far as we're aware, Megatron has been frozen on Earth for like several thousand years as well. Yeah. They don't make um, enough of their rivalry, I don't think, and like I think that is supposed to be the crux of of Transformers One or whatever. But like, and and Sentinel again repeats this thing about gods, and Megatron briefly proposes a truce, and he's like, "Oh, we have to team up and stop Sentinel." In the original draft, they took that truce, they killed him together, and then like, Megatron went back to Cybertron with the Decepticons to rebuild it. Why the Autobots stayed on Earth, but instead, Optimus is like, "Lol, nah," murders Megatron quite violently, and then murders Sentinel and like headshots the motherfucker point blank just wild that like his catchphrase is freedom is the right of all sentient beings and his kill count in this movie i lost count at 10 like <laughs> 11 if you count the drill like yeah I, there's like one moment where like he's like it's the scene like, that like, they all like the where he, yeah, yeah where he lands after flying and he does all that shit and i don't know i don't know how many people he killed there it was quite a lot <laughs> Like, like it's it's wild, and it's like I guess if you again, this is the same thing that we talked about, or like when we talk about like Batman v Superman, where like some people just like it when their characters are murderers, and it's like <laughs> right, but that's not what this character is. Like, if you want to make a movie where a guy goes out and fucking murders everyone, go for it. Like, we love the John Wick movies. Like, those are movies where this guy is like he isn't wounding them; he is straight up murdering them. Yeah. But if you're gonna adapt something like Optimus Prime and Batman, who have like core ideals baked into their character, yeah. unless you have a really good take on them would explain why they would become a mass murderer like <laughs> why why are you adapting this character like and this is completely different to like when people complain that they've they race changed or like sexuality changed or any of these different things with characters because like those are not key things that factor into what that character's deal is mm. but like optimus prime's whole deal is megatron is a mass murdering like dick like pseudo dictator and optimus is trying to not be tyrannical and like a murderer yes he's probably committed war crimes at some point over the last four million years like they are not clean but he is at least not attempting to murder like all the decepticons like they have a prison for decepticons yeah like he wouldn't i don't think i don't think any version of optimus but this one would like headshot a motherfucker point blank when he's beaten and surrendered like and optimus here is like give me your face and is just murdering people left and right and it, it, he's got such a boner for murder and it's so strange like optimus is a boy scout fundamentally like he's a foolish optimist he, he is naive almost in how pleasant he is and 
you know, and obviously he, he, he just... he's good at fighting and in war he will do what he's got to do. But like, there's a huge chasm of difference between that and this. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like the movie, it infects everything in the movie because also like at the same time as all this is happening, Shia LaBeouf is fighting um, Patrick Dempsey at the, where the key pillar is and eventually like knocks him into it, electrocuting him. And like, it's like, oh, cool. So like now... Sam Sam hasn't killed anyone really up to this point because like Megatron's come back to life. So like his his murders in that first movie have kind of like been wiped away, but like he has now like literally straight up killed a guy. Mm-hmm. And the movie is like, cool, how do we end this? Um right, so we've we've killed Megatron, we've killed Sentinel, we've killed uh Dylan Gould. Um what if we rain some bolts down on top of Sam and Carly and acted like Bumblebee wanted them to get married? Mm-hmm. Two movies in a row, they hit the final like hyper-violent death, and then they act as if we've got to be out of here in forty-three seconds. Like, <laughs> come on, let's cut to Lincoln Park. As well, there's soon a, as there's we a lot of can. animator names that are going to show up in the credits, so we need exactly. to like keep them. <laughs> like somebody wrote this as if it was like an old like a a nineties action movie where the credits are like two minutes long. It's like no, no, no there's so many special effects. The credits are longer than we thought. We have got to get out of here. <laughs> Um, and they just smash cut to the end credits, and then we get a little barely mid credits stinger with with John Turturro like <laughs> like making out with Francis McDormand. Which, and... which that has to be ad lib, I feel, because obviously I that's like so. them that's them going like, here's the two Cohen actors, let's give them a little bit more like yeah. scenes together and stuff like that. I'll go to jail for love, he says. <laughs> Again, why would the audience want to stick around for anything once they've seen the big hyper-violent death? So we're out. And we're yeah. out, and next time we're talking about the movies will be on Age of Extinction, which is like after being like actually soft positive on this one, we're gonna go right back into being like these things are awful. This is it's better than the last one. I think it is probably overall better than the first one. I you know, I don't think it's a patch on Bumblebee, but like it it's it's alright by the standards we are having to deal with. I still have heavy problems with like the second half of it. Oh, 100%. I, I fully agree there. It is, I mean, it's also interesting because we're talking about this era cinema where, like, this is this is literally when other countries become so important at the box office. Because this movie yes. does, like, after the second movie grossed, like, $80 million more than the first movie domestically, the, this one has dropped $50 million, despite having the 3D bump, despite being a billion-dollar grosser. But the number of money that it makes from like the like outside of America has doubled in between movies yeah and is only going to increase and there's the reason why Michael Bay keeps on being asked back to this franchise is because the worldwide number for these movies kept on getting bigger and bigger even it's, if it's the insane. domestic box office was shrinking they're insanely popular in East and Southeast Asia like Singapore Malaysia obsessed with Transformers China obsessed with Transformers there are like somewhat dismissive claims that they basically wrote the fourth movie for China, which, you know, we'll get into that. So in two weeks it is Transformers Age of Extinction. It's time to meet Cade Yeager. Enough of enough of the Sam Witwicky bullshit. It's time for an all-American mechanic man. <sighs> okay. Embracing <Yeah. laughs> myself. <laughs> um, before that, we are turning back to the comic book pages of One James Roberts, hoping for a much shorter episode than last week, but can't What do you mean? Anything. We've got it down. We've got... We've definitely got that to a breezy two hours uh, the last episode to that it's at the time (laughs) of this recording it's still two hours 34 but like um yes it will be issues 17 to 21 of more than meets the eye 
Uh, it will be issues 28 to 33 of More Than Meets the Eye. That is volumes 5 and 6 of that comic. The numbers missing in between are Dark Cybertron, which is a big event that, like, it doesn't really have as much relevance to what we're talking about, so we're just going to skim through it a lot quicker. Um, it's just sucked into some bullshit, but, like... Yeah, um, so here we have probably the zenith of Michael Bay's powers with these robots, like... It, it, not the zenith of the live action Transformers. No, no, though. of we, Michael we, Bay's powers with the. Yeah, no, I just mean like we, we do still have a good movie we do, to discuss, we do. and maybe Rise of the Beast is good. Some people are like it's not as good as Bumblebee, but it's still good. Like I don't know. Um... Yeah, but I'm. I think those are the same people that were like Flash is good, and I'm okay. like I'm now hearing some like not good things about Flash. So we okay. shall see. We shall see. So we will see you next week with your comic book hats on, and if you skip all the comic book episodes and just want to hear us talk about Michael Bay, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. For Age of Extinction. It's time to hunt some Dinobots. Audience, roll out. (laughs) This is why why we fight why we lay awake this is why this is why we Come to me, come to me now, lay your arms around me, this is why, this is why.